0: So we're starting this sermon series today and small group series on the book of James, which is a book in the New Testament. And we would invite you each week during the series to bring your Bibles with. Many of you have it on your phone or your tablet, so you can just dial it up there. But we would love for you to follow along each week. You know, it's kind of like going to a Twins game, a Vikings game, and getting the program. So you kind of know who everybody is, what's going on. You've got the stats, Having your Bible with you is like having the program for a worship service. If you're at home, too, we'd encourage you to grab a Bible or to grab your phone. If you don't have the YouVersion app on your phone, you should really download it. It's all sorts of different translations of the Bible, all sorts of devotions, and it's free. And it's been used by billions of people around the world. Just an awesome resource. And it's kind of fun. I've got some flashing lights behind me for some reason. Maybe it'll spice it up a little bit. But in this series, we're going to be looking at how do we live out our life or live out our faith in real life, especially in regard to our trials, our troubles, our struggles. You know, there are so many things that are coming at us in our world today, so many things to struggle with, so many different pressure points. But you see, instead of something to get discouraged about, something to get depressed about, it's something to see as an invitation where we can live out our faith, where we can trust in God's promises, where we can actually even grow in our relationship with God. And so a book in the New Testament that really speaks to this, about how to live out our faith in real life is the book of James. And if you're not familiar with the Bible so much, James is towards the end of the New Testament, so towards the back of the Bible. It comes right after the book of Hebrews, right before all of the Peters and Johns, and then Revelation at the end. So James was the younger half-brother of Jesus. And what we learn about him in the Gospel of John is that he and the rest of Jesus' brothers did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And you can imagine their discussion. You know, Maybe they came down and they had coffee together at a coffee shop and they started to talk about how embarrassing Jesus was. You know, like, okay, here's our brother. He's been perfect his whole life. He never disobeyed. He always looked, made us look bad. But now he's claiming to be God. What are we going to do about this? And we're even told in Scripture that they tried to get him to come home. Like, Jesus, you're giving us a bad name. You're bad for business. Could you just tone it down? Well, after his death and resurrection, then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to his apostles, his followers, but specifically, even before he talks about the rest of the apostles, he says, Jesus appeared to James, and everything changed. James went from skepticism and disbelief to actually believing Jesus was who he said he was. He saw that Jesus was dead, and now he believed that he was resurrected and he was alive. And James became one of the key leaders in the early church. He was one of the leaders in Jerusalem, you know, kind of the capital city for Christianity. And so when you start to read in James chapter one, you'll see that James introduces himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus. Now, he's talking about his brother there. And as I've often said, I think this is one of the greatest proofs for the truth of the resurrection and the truth of who Jesus said he was, because his very own brother went from complete skepticism and embarrassment to calling Jesus his Lord, his Savior, and he believed everything that he had said. So think for a moment, what would your brother have to do? To convince you that he was the Son of God. For James, that question became true. He believed in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So James is leading the church in Jerusalem and he sits down to write a letter. To write a letter to followers of Jesus who were going through hard times and struggles and difficulties. They were facing famine and persecution and even martyrdom. And so James wants to encourage them and to give them advice. And you'll see when you read through the book of James, it's different than many of the other books of the New Testament because James doesn't spend a lot of time trying to convince you of who Jesus is. It's already assumed that you are a follower. He's writing to the church. Not only that, he doesn't debate theology much or try to correct theology like Paul did and like others did. Instead, he's talking to people who are trying to live out their faith within the church, writing to people who have a relationship with Jesus. Now, maybe today you find yourself wondering what you believe. You're not sure about this Jesus guy. You're not even sure maybe why you tuned in today. Well, I think this book can also speak into your life that many of the principles that James is going to talk about you know, talking about pressure points that we all face and how to live out our faith, I think it can be helpful to you as well. Because what James is all about is helping us to take a step of faith, no matter where we're at. If you've been a believer for 85 years, there's still another step of faith that you can take. You can still keep growing. And maybe you've never taken a step of faith. Maybe today would be the day that you take your very first step of faith. And you start to see how that makes a difference in your life. James wants us all to discover discover that faith is not passive. It's not just something up in our head. It's something active. It's something to be lived out. Faith isn't the end. It's not something to check off the list. It's the beginning of a journey that makes a difference in the high points of life and certainly in the low points of life. And so today, the big idea that I want you to take away, the thing that James wants to teach us is that our faith grows and strengthens when it is stretched. Our faith best grows and strengthens when it is stretched. Now, I think we know this to be true. When we go through difficulties, when we go through struggles, oftentimes they bring us back To our faith. When things are easy and we're cruising by, it's so easy to forget about faith. It's easy to forget about our connection to God, but it's in those pressure points that we somehow return and we reconnect. Now, some of you might find yourself in the middle of a difficult season today. Maybe today all you can think about is something going on in your life, you're not sure what tomorrow is gonna bring. Maybe you have worry, maybe you have anxiety. It's been a long season that we've all been in. Many trials and struggles and challenges that we've had to face. And so many of us probably feel that pressure today. But we also have to acknowledge there's other people that are thriving today. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, that really doesn't describe me. I'm doing great Well, no matter where you're at, if you're at a low point or a high point, James wants to speak into our situation because the truth is we will all face trials in our life. It's just the way that it is. And so James says in verse two, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles or when trials of any kind come your way, It's not a question of if trials are going to come, it's when they will come. And so whether that's today, whether that's next week, whether that's years into the future, every one of us will face trials, struggles, and difficulties. You see, following Jesus doesn't mean simply everything will be easy from then on. But the problem is, many of the TV preachers that are out there today Basically, that's their message. If you put your faith in Jesus, well, then everything will be great. You will be healthy, and you will be wealthy, and that is contingent on the amount of your faith and the amount of your money that you send in to the ministry. The problem with that, though, whenever you hear that message that you should always be happy and wealthy and healthy is consider Jesus' life. The Bible said he never had a place to lay his head. He eventually was tortured and then killed. Look at the life of Paul. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was jailed, he was tortured, and he was killed. Look at all the disciples. Almost every one of them went to their deaths as martyrs. So James is saying we need to prepare, we need to expect that we are going to go through low points, we're going to have pressure points, we're going to face trials and struggles. But here's the problem. Oftentimes, when we face those times of life, we assume it's because of something that we did. Now, of course, there are consequences for our actions, and we need to take that into account. But too often, we go a step further, and we assume, well, God must be out to get me. He must be doing this to me, to punish me, or to get even, And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible simply says, because we are in a broken world, we will go through trials and struggles, whether we are good or bad. There's no way to run away from it. You will experience troubles and trials. But the thing is, what we do have control over is how we choose to respond to those times of trial. And look at the second half of verse three, or two, sorry, James says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. We might say, is he nuts? It's the exact opposite of every instinct we have. Troubles and trials being an opportunity for joy. No, they're an opportunity for stress, worry, agony, grief, anger. I mean, have you ever been tempted to throw a party for a difficult time in your life? No, you just want to get through it once and for all. But here's the reason that James is able to say that. Look at verse three. He says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. He's saying, Without an opportunity to stretch our faith, it might become weaker and it might even fade away completely. It's an opportunity for joy because in those pressure points, God can grow our faith like never before. Now, I think, again, we know this to be true deep down, but it is a very hard truth to embrace. So maybe think about it this way. Imagine you are given a script for your newborn baby's entire life. And better yet, you're not only given a script of their life, you're given a big eraser. And you have five minutes to edit whatever you want. So you start to read through this script, this account of their life, what it will be like. And you read that your daughter will have a learning disability in grade school. Reading, which comes easy to many kids, is going to be very hard for her. In high school, she's going to have a great circle of friends, but one of those friends will die of cancer, tragically. After high school, she's going to get into her preferred college, but while she's there, she's going to get into a bad car accident. And following that, she'll go through a season of depression. A few years later, she'll get a great job, but then she's going to lose that job in an economic downturn. She's going to get married, but then go through a very, very painful separation. And so you've got this whole script of her life, you've got this big eraser, what would you erase? Would you be tempted to take out every situation that would be painful? What if you could erase every disappointment, every failure, every period of suffering? But would that be a good idea? Would that cause her to grow into the best version Of herself? Or is it possible that we actually need struggles and adversity and setbacks and even crises and trauma to reach the fullest potential of our development and growth? You see, God doesn't erase all of the trials and stresses of life before they start. Instead, what God does is he uses them to help us grow. God isn't at work producing the circumstances that I want. He's at work even in bad, hard situations and circumstances to produce the me that he wants. And so there's an important reminder there. God's purpose is not to get you through life comfortable, unbruised, and unchallenged. God's purpose is for you to grow into the character of Jesus Christ, to become more and more like him, so that you're able to face trials when they come with confidence and strength, just like he did. And also being made into the image of Jesus is the very best source of joy that we can find. So as we continue to read in the book of James, we see that the first key to responding to life's trials is to embrace the process. I love that James uses the word endurance a few times. Endurance is able to be grown. It's able to be developed. You can start out in life with very little endurance, but you can build on that. Now the word that James uses there in the Greek specifically means the ability to overcome or the ability to endure to the point of victory. This is not hanging on for dear life. This is not just hoping to outlast it. It means with God, you can overcome. You can endure. You can actually grow stronger. It's kind of like learning to ride a bike learning to ski or to snowboard, the process is hard, right? You're gonna fall down numerous times and you have a choice. Are you gonna get back up and try again or are you gonna give up? God says, I never said life would be easy, but I did promise I would be with you through it all. All of these things are things that will help stretch your faith and build endurance. We might be tempted to say, but I can't go on. I can't serve in the way he's calling me to. I can't commit. I don't want to sign up. I can't share my faith. I can't tithe. And God is saying, I will help you. These are things that will help grow your faith and your endurance. Look at verse four. He says, so let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, then you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. See the connection there? Building endurance leads to maturity. It means then that you'll be able to fulfill the purpose that God put you here to fulfill. You're still going to have trials and struggles and difficulties along the way, but you will be equipped To stand firm, no matter what life has to throw at you. Now this might sound great, it might make sense in the moment, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? When you're in the middle of a storm, when you're at the lowest point of life, when you're wondering, why God, and how am I supposed to get out of this? James is honest, he's grace-filled, he understands where you're at. Look at verse 5. So when you find yourself in that trial, he says, if you need wisdom, if you need to turn somewhere, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Don't be fearful. Go honestly straight to God. And so the second key to responding to life's trials is to lean into the trial. It might be tempting to try to ignore it, to run away, to do it on your own. James says, no, go directly to our generous God with whatever's on your hearts. He's going to help you understand. He's going to help you determine your next steps. But I think too often our attitude is, I'll go to God, but I'm going to tell him what I want. I'm not going to listen to what he wants. And if I don't like what he has to say, well, then I'm going to go find a second opinion or a third opinion. Well, James goes on to remind us, God doesn't mind our questions. Bring all your questions to him. He's bigger than that. And not only that, God doesn't mind our doubts. You can bring your doubts to God. All throughout the Bible, major figures of faith have questions and doubts for God. That's not a problem. But what James wants to warn us against in verses 6 through 8 is having divided loyalty. Look at verse 6. He says, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Other translations call this double-mindedness, and sometimes we start to loop that in with questions and doubts, but it's not the same thing. What James is reminding us to do is to ultimately stay loyal to God. Don't hedge your bets. You know, I'm going to pray to God, but I'm also going to have this little trinket over here. I'm going to go use this book over here. He says, don't be like a wave in the sea that's blown all about. It makes me think of when I was leading a youth group up into the boundary waters on a canoe trip. So we got out on our first day. We did a long day of canoeing. We finally got to our campsite. I had all the youth out setting up their tents, getting camp set up. And it was time for supper. We were ready to eat. So we sent two canoes out into the middle of the lake to get some water and some big pots that we could boil And I watched this process where, for whatever reason, I mean, their youth, they decided to switch canoes out in the middle of the lake. So one of the girls got up, stood up in her canoe, and she put one leg in the other canoe. And you can imagine what happened, right? Gradually, the canoes went apart. She ended up in the lake. What James is saying is don't put your legs in opposite canoes. Stay loyal to God. Stay seated in your canoe. Don't have divided loyalty. Don't be double-minded. Trust in God and God alone. Lean into the trial by inviting God to come alongside you. Now, resist the temptation to be like a young child. Parents, you've probably experienced this before. One of your kids young child needs help with something. So they come and they ask you for your help and you drop everything because you want to help them. But instead of being thankful, your child gets more and more frustrated because they want to do things their way, not your way. And so you calmly try to explain the better way to do it, but they only want to do it their way. Now, how often, regardless of our age, do we approach God in the same way? God, help me out here, but I want to do things my way. When we face trials and struggles, we need to lean into them, but be open to God's guidance, His advice, the next steps that He will show us. Well, it leads into the third key to responding to life's trials, which is to keep an eternal perspective. We tend to get distracted by our immediate circumstances and situation. We forget that this life is not all that there is, especially when things are tough. When we have those trials in our life, when those pressure points occur, we get tunnel vision. We have a hard time remembering or focusing on anything else. And so to illustrate this, James goes in an interesting direction in verses 9 to 11. He talks about two groups of people very broadly, poor people and rich people. And the reason is because in first century of the first century Middle East, people assumed that they could look at your status, specifically your financial status, and then know whether or not you were close and blessed by God. I guess we do this a little bit today, maybe, but they would look and they'd say, Well, if you are poor, it must mean God has something against you. And if you are rich, well, then you must be especially close to God. So James is talking about this reality in their culture, and he says, If you are poor, you should actually be boasting about how much God has honored you. And he says, Rich people, you should be boasting about how much God has humbled you. And you might say, what in the world is he talking about? But what he's saying is we need to get beyond our immediate circumstances and see the bigger picture, that the gospel is the great equalizer. We're all on level ground in front of the cross. He's saying to the poor who's looked down upon by everyone else in society, he's saying in Christ, you are of utmost importance. No matter what your immediate circumstances are, You are someone with a high position because of who Jesus is. You've made it. You are a success. And to the rich, James reminds them, don't forget the reality of your true condition. No matter how materially blessed you might be, you are still a lowly sinner like everyone else. So while the gospel exalts, it also humbles The gospel doesn't let us feel self-sufficient. It doesn't let us feel strong in ourselves. Instead, it reminds us of God's goodness and generosity. Again, it's more than meets the eye. It's more than our immediate circumstances. There's a bigger picture. And the reality is, no matter where we're at on that earthly spectrum, we will face trials and struggles. You can't buy your way out. And so that's why in verse 12, James says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. As we learn to embrace our trials and our struggles, as we let them stretch us and grow us in our faith, as we let them in build the endurance that God wants us to build. During that painful process, it's definitely not fun. What we can do is focus and look forward with great anticipation for the day when all trials will cease to be. And the only weight we will feel is the crown of life that God places on our head. Paul talks about this too in Romans eight eighteen, where he says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Isn't that such a good word? What you suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that awaits you. Keep an eternal perspective. It will bring reassurance It will bring confidence. So imagine if you would put these keys into practice in your life. You know, some of you right now are in the storm. You feel like you're in a time of trial and difficulty. It's painful. It's hard. Others of you, maybe you're in a better spot. But maybe you know someone who needs to hear God's truth. Or maybe it's simply knowing that someday you will need to put this into practice. (laughs) Maybe there's someone near to you that needs someone to walk with them through this time of trial. No matter where you're at, what would it look like to put this into practice? What if you would consider trials and troubles an opportunity for joy? How would that impact your life? How might that impact those of you or those around you? Imagine how your own faith might grow, but not only that, imagine how others' faith might grow by watching you. Don't miss out on this opportunity to let God help you do the hard work of growing in faith. Don't cave into the temptation to just sit back, and coast, feeling sorry for yourself as your faith weakens and fades. Lean into that trial. Let God do the hard work so that you can grow. Embrace that process, lean into the trial, and keep an eternal perspective. You see, by doing that, you will build endurance. And it's by building that endurance and growing in that faith that you will become the person that God intends for you to be. Let's pray. Gracious God, again, we are thankful for your goodness, for your promises, that no matter what we face in life, we don't face it alone. And in fact, you use the hard stuff to help us grow. It's through our trials and troubles. It's through the stretching that we actually grow into the people you want us to be. God, help us to keep that perspective no matter where we're at. Help us to always go to you with honesty and openness. And God, help us to take that next step, whatever it is, so that we can keep growing in you. Give us eyes to see the people around us that need hope, that need assurance, that need to be pointed to you. And God, no matter who we meet this week, help us to radiate your love in every word that we say, in every action that we take. God, we're thankful for your word and how it speaks into our life. And so God, we're thankful for who you are, And above all else, we're thankful for Jesus. And we pray this in his powerful name. And let's all say together.